Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed part one of our conversation. Let's kick off part two. You, you grew up in Mumbai, you were schooled in Mumbai, and clearly a, a fascinating part of the world. Presumably that's had some impact on the way you view the global economy, the, 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 the need to engage with diverse communities and, and in building this type of business. It'd be really interesting to, to hear a little bit more about that experience of growing up in Mumbai and how it's impacted what you're doing now. <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, Mumbai is, uh, well, it's dear to my heart and it is sort of uh, my home in my heart, literally. And um, yes, it's it's where I grew up. And um, it was a time in the early, well, in the 80s and 90s, um, actually most of the 80s in school. And at was a time when we, well, while I was growing up, it wasn't that we ever felt that we didn't have enough. We had quite a lot, but it wasn't as open as it is today. So choice was probably um, a lot less. But what we did have is the diversity and um, ability to interact with diverse communities. So I went to a uh, Catholic school run by nuns. Um, I had uh, kids, children of... um, various uh, religions and, um, you know, speaking different languages, eating different food. Uh, We have such a diverse population in Mumbai. I mean, you know, you may be a Hindu, but you eat different. You may be vegetarian, non-vegetarian. You speak a different language at home. You have different traditions. Um, All of this was quite taken for granted, really. Um, I don't quite remember in my early years growing up. I mean, it was never it was never a big deal, you know. We celebrated Eid with our Muslim friends. We had Christmas with our um, Catholic friends. Uh, we had various, uh, you know, we had Zoroastrians and we had these amazing um, Parsi New Year festivals and things. So I mean, you know, it, it was almost like a given for me that diversity is normal. Is what I was always made to believe. Um, it was only much later in life when I started realizing that. A lot of people don't take diversity uh, to be a, a given, you know, and, and I quite often think that I wish we wouldn't make such a big deal about certain things, because if we would just um, accept things like people are different, you know, we, we, we look different, we speak different, but that's fine. That's what makes it so much more fun. So I think that's always been a sort of um, it's been in the background always. And I think inclusive trade, like when I set up my first business, when I was uh, walking through the wholesale markets of uh, Mumbai and picking up fabrics, which were leftover pieces from mills and things, creating my first collection at university when I was 17, um, it kind of started with, you know, believing that diversity is what the strength is. And the fact that you can get differences and find a way to make it amazing and present it in a way where everyone understands it uh, and, and relates to it, it's it's beautiful because that's actually what makes it different as compared to the standard, you know, thing that you get off a conveyor belt, basically. It's, it's interesting thinking about um, diversity as an issue uh, versus inclusivity as an issue because I think there's been a lot of conversation, including as part of the, the project, about how if you get an inclusive environment, that encourages the diversity. If you've got diversity, you can still fail on the inclusivity agenda um, if you don't get that right. And I think that that it was interesting to me to, listening to you talk about um, mixing with everybody at school because when that's natural, it's naturally it's an inclusive environment. It's naturally environment uh, naturally inclusive, and the diversity actually doesn't become the issue. It's the ability to um, to to for everybody to feel relaxed and productive and happy in a diverse environment. Exactly. And I think I wish, um, I mean, again, I don't have an answer over um, just on the top of my head, but I think that should be the 
the thing that we should be thinking about in our businesses today, in, in our, you know, how do we make our teams diverse and yet inclusive? Um, make it a relaxed environment, really. Make it normal for everyone to be different. I mean, and it shouldn't be a forced thing either, because that's the other problem today. I think quite often in our in our absolute um, ambition and, and, and desire to to create diversity, we we do things that are not always quite natural. And I think keeping it simple, relaxed and natural is what will eventually bring diversity into inclusivity. That uh, Sound advice. Yeah. Sound advice for lots of people who are grappling with with how to be authentic and practical in dealing with dealing with those issues. I mean, clearly part of that discussion is around is around gender. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm very, very conscious that uh, you're a successful female entrepreneur. Has 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 that been an issue at all in your career, or or something that you've just been relaxed about and taken for granted? Um, well, for me, women's empowerment has always been quite uh, an important issue, and it's um, you know before we set up inclusive trade, I had a non-profit organisation called Spinner Circle, uh, which has uh, over the years brought together hundreds of women from different parts of the world onto an online platform where they were able to connect with each other. Now. For me personally, I have been very fortunate to have been able to um, take um, equality for granted, really. I've been very fortunate both in my family growing up, along with my partner and my husband today. And um, I quite honestly feel a large part of that, and I strongly believe this, is to do with supporting and making boys... um, more empathetic and more sort of sensitive and understand as much as we tell girls to be strong. And I think it's it's really, it's, it's half and half, isn't it? I mean, you can't have half of it working and the other half not working. I mean, for us in my house, um, you know, equality is never the issue. I mean, we do fight about all kinds of other things about, you know, being late or not picking up the kids on time or whatever, things like that. But equality is never an issue. And um, I think if we make it more common and um, standard practice to to teach our boys young as they're young enough to understand that you know equality is about you know is about treating everyone in the same way it's not about stereotyping it's not about kind of saying oh boys have got to just be strong and girls are supposed to be, do certain things and um, while we are I think making strides in getting our girls to be stronger and there's a lot of um, discussion around that I think that is absolutely amazing. We should not forget that we've got to educate our boys because if we don't educate our boys, you'll find a situation where when they're grown and making decisions and become decision makers together with these wonderfully powerful, strong women, they won't really know what to do. And, you know, they won't be equipped to understand that this is a platform where they should be working together and not fighting each other on, you know, simple things. Um, Yeah, I think for me... um, Gender equality, whether, you know, whatever choices you make and whatever your choices in terms of being a boy, a girl or deciding to change from being one to another, however you decide, I think that should not be the determining factor. The factor should be about a person and treat the person as an individual rather than looking at that person based on gender. And um, this is something that we try to encourage through our platform as well. So we work with um, brands and artisans and communities that give importance to gender equality. And um, we have products coming from a variety of communities which are quite marginalized, actually, um, because of their preferences. But they're beautiful products. So, you know, the point is that anyone and everyone is capable of doing beautiful things and great stuff. I mean, you should be looking at that and, and you know, not 
um, thinking about who's, you know, whether it's a boy or a girl, or you know, what's uh, what what the girl should have been doing or the boy should have been doing. And I think that's exactly what we're trying to change. And I think in doing that, we have to focus a bit more on changing the mindset of boys as much as we focus on girls. That's an incredibly powerful message, actually. And as a, as a parent of both a boy and a girl, um, you know, I can really see the the importance of working on both sides of that complex uh, equation. We've talked about a range of topics, um, sustainability, um, transparency. We've talked about inclusivity and diversity. I, I'm conscious that our, our listeners will be involved in all sorts of different types of organisations, some of them in small entrepreneurial um, startup and scale-up businesses, some of them in large, complicated corporates, possibly some of them in academia or, or government. Do, do you think there are there are different approaches for different types of organisation in dealing with some of these issues, or, or do you actually think it's more simple than that? There are just some common threads and we need to get on with it and ignore the, the organisational structure. I think the way people approach it will probably be different depending on the size of your organization and obviously based on where you are and the uh, age of your organization as well. Because obviously the older your organization is, it depends on what has been and then you have to either change it or work with it and and, and train or retrain your teams. Um, while it's a complex issue, I think breaking it down into simple steps and keeping it simple. I mean, I think that's always been a standard point that keep it simple is actually what works the best. Um and go away from that saying the ends determine the means, really. I mean, you know, those were, I guess, philosophies that may have worked at a certain point in time. Uh, I definitely heard it in the 80s growing up. Um, but it isn't what it should be, right? Because, I mean, it's not about just any way. Don't just achieve it at any cost. And that's actually where why, I suppose, we are at the situation we are in today, where we've just grown at any cost. And I think... Um, for even big organizations, if I mean, if I had to put it down to big, medium and small, just to keep it simple, because obviously there are so many different variations of this. Um, for a big organization, it's really about breaking it down into simple steps and saying, right, what is the first thing we can do? Is this a one year process? Is this a two year process? A second thing, and that's maybe a seven year process or a five year process. And then, you know, going forward, um, just break it down and start making changes. Just do something, not just sit there and plan. And I think that's one of the things that unfortunately we see too much of so plan a little bit less and start doing you can't learn to swim by reading a book you've got to jump into the water and I think that's what I'm suggesting medium-sized organizations probably have a bit more um, flexibility because obviously you have smaller teams you, you don't have as much legacy probably um, but I almost think sometimes the medium-sized organizations struggle the most primarily because they don't have the resources that a big organization has and the flexibility or the ability from that perspective in terms of just, um, you know, hiring someone in to, to kind of, you know, provide you with some consulting or advice. Um, those things a big organization can do. A small, a medium-sized organization is already scaled but needs to now start changing. So I think the best option I feel from, well, the experience I've had of working with medium-sized businesses is to start engaging with um, associations and other businesses, become members of chambers if you're not already a member, and start to sort of share practices and think what other things are companies doing. Um, there was a very interesting uh, retailer in the fashion business recently that I had a chat with who's a medium-sized business. And, um, you know, they were saying that, of course, in the fashion business, um, a lot of uh, 
you know, you 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 use the same producers in different countries. I mean, let's say the same factory in, um, just as an example, in Myanmar, Bangladesh, is producing for five different brands, right? So you are a medium-sized company and you're trying to change something. But you also know that um, this other brand, which is a medium-sized company, is also producing in the, supply, uh, the same supplier. So if you want to address an issue with the supplier, it's much better if these medium-sized businesses start talking to each other rather than going at the supplier to try and change things individually. Because individually, A, you don't have the bandwidth. B, you're confusing the supplier. The supplier is getting mixed messages. They don't take you seriously enough because you're not big enough. But if you combine your um, resources and your time together with these two or three other medium-sized businesses and then approach the problem together, um, you know, you're much more likely to have a sustainable impact. And it's a great story for your consumers as well, you know, and you can actually show the process. So I think that's uh, a medium-sized um, business solution that I would suggest. The third thing, small. I mean, small, you have the absolute luxury of being able to make a lot of decisions and start from, you know, making changes yourself. I mean, if it's a team of three or a team of five, I mean, I mean, decision makers, let's say, you're really in a position to talk to each other and make those changes happen. So I think in many ways, uh, the smallest businesses have the biggest luxury. And well, the medium sized ones have to be more creative and the big ones just have to start getting at it, start doing it, stop planning, just do it. And then we come to government. I mean, you've, you've obviously worked at the United Nations. You've spoken at Davos. You've uh, had to interact with those organisations in a trade and development career. What, what is the role of government and government-funded collaborations in driving forward, I guess, the opportunity for, for businesses that want to be better businesses? I think it's, it's an area that's not tapped into sufficiently. Um, my experience the last 20-odd years of working with trade and development across the world, and the story remains the same, really. Um, on the one hand, you've got governments and development projects and the United Nations and various other development agencies. It's not the only one, of course, doing lots of great work with, I mean, limited resources. If this, if this had to be done by a corporate or a multinational, I bet you there would be millions thrown at it. And quite often the development projects that I have run or a lot of program managers at the UN have to run, run it on really shoestring budgets compared to what corporates or multinationals would potentially have done for the same kind of um, results. So first and foremost, the mandate of the UN or development projects are on making sure there's impact. And it's all about development goals, right? Um, but if corporates and businesses started to collaborate a bit more, this would be a win-win for everyone. And I think this is a very untapped opportunity because on the one hand, governments are running development programs. On the other hand, businesses would like to have sustainable supply chains, but there's this sort of gap of communication. And there are some platforms on which, of course, this happens, but this happens at such high levels um, that it kind of remains macro. So quite often, um, it's about engaging and understanding which organizations do what. And again, don't get me wrong, the UN and other government agencies are all massive. <laughs> so getting things to move ahead takes time, you know, and um, getting people to agree on things can take time. But I think they would be very interested to get more uh, businesses on board in sort of becoming stakeholders of projects like that, in, in being able to be the, the ones who benefit from, you know, a, a good supply chain, for instance. So I think the role of governments, of course, I mean, as we all know, has got to be on regulations and, um, you know, policies and things where they become the enablers for businesses to be able to do what they do better. I mean, that I strongly believe in. But there are development initiatives which support 
largely small manufacturers, small supply chains, or um, let's say players across. So, for example, the tourism industry or the fisheries are areas that, again, the UN and other development agencies are very heavily involved in, in trying to increase the sustainability of these particular industries. The same applies for the garment sector. And um, I'm sure restaurants and other food businesses, as well as, um, you know, um, the, the retailers, if if they got a bit more involved at the early stages of these kind of um, programs, I think we'd see a lot more efficiency in all aspects because some parts of these businesses, uh, some parts of these projects really rely on market access and sustainability. So I think a bit more of dialogue and communication and visibility of each other would be really highly, I think, appreciated by both sides. So this is what I would say. Uh, and then governments can go away and do what they do best, which is they should be focusing on um, making it easier for us all to do business rather yeah. than actually trying to run the businesses themselves. Regulate and deregulate. <laughs> yeah, well, regulate and deregulate, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Yes, absolutely. Well, it, and it, so it sounds like, uh, you know, ultimately we come back to, to two strong themes of today's conversation. One is the, the power and influence of the customer and the other is the importance of collaboration in making anything happen. Absolutely. I think collaboration is, um, for me, I feel in today's world, the more we collaborate, the more diverse our teams will be and the better our decisions are going to be, really. Because I cannot, I mean, I don't believe that one set of people can ever make the right decision because, come on, we all come from the same thing and you're going to think the same way. Or one strata of society or one, you know, location, you're never going to be able to have the right mix of um, opportunities. I mean, you're going to lose opportunities if you don't actually include more people and more stakeholders. So I think collaboration, which is becoming increasingly easier today, and I don't mean just collaborating in little cooperatives in, um, you know, a village scenario, which has always been the case. I'm talking about collaborations at a global level where small, big, uh, multi-channel versus single channel versus, you know, government. And, you know, trying to bring all of those people onto one platform with common thinking and common um, kind of coming together more on common views as compared to and then trying to set tangible goals in deciding what to do. I mean, Davos was a great I mean, experience for me to actually go in and uh, be a part of these communications where I was there as a, one of the um, at one of the events specifically for uh, the future of uh, payments and the future of work. And we discussed uh, quite strongly how the world of um, work is changing today and, you know, how we viewed everyone. I mean, everyone just went and had a pension and everyone kind of lived off that. And that was sort of your you work towards that. And today, more and more people are becoming entrepreneurs and people are beginning to have multiple jobs at the same time. And how do you kind of, you know, take all of that into account today and still account for it and make sure that everyone's safe and has the financial resources they need to be able to make the changes they want to make. So I think, again, collaboration came out very, very strongly. Um, and it's no surprise, really, because it's very logical, isn't it? If you do something better than I do, then we should just collaborate, because why should I try to then again reinvent the wheel and said, let me do what I do better? So um, digital channels, technology, these are all, I think, enablers. And the more we look into how we could move further up these particular uh, technologies such as blockchain, such as AI or VR, which is probably going to become more and more relevant uh, and make it more accessible and affordable. And I think that is where we're probably stuck right now, where some of these technologies exist, but they're not really affordable for usage by a lot of the small businesses. And if we want to really see change, we've got to be able to make it affordable. Fascinating thinking about the role of VR in telling that story of where products come from or or allowing the consume, potential consumer to Absolutely. engage in a different way. 
it could be amazing. Imagine you could be walking in the streets or you could be in that particular place and having a chat with, you know, Seble, who's the one who makes the scarves. And, um, you know, you could be actually wearing it as well. I mean, it could be a VR in both ways. It doesn't have to be one way, right? So it could be really, really exciting and interesting um, if we could make it affordable. <laughs> I think that's where the, where the challenge is right now. Well, that sounds like a really sensible place to ask you really what the what the future board agenda of inclusive trade looks like oh <laughs> well um that's actually interesting because, in fact, with uh, Inclusive Trade, we are um, an online platform and that's been our first, let's say, channel to achieve the goal of creating this community of like-minded consumers and um, corporates or consumers and businesses, as well as artisans. Um, our goal is to grow further on two aspects. One is on the product development angle. We really want to, or rather we are already exploring areas of increasing the transparency of our supply chains. At the moment, it's uh, low tech because, well, we need to start somewhere and we need to achieve something to show that it works. Um, but we are exploring opportunities to look at well, blockchain or variations of, of blockchain to see how we could make it affordable and manageable to, you know, make this journey for the consumer as well as the supplier really, really interesting and um, ethical as well. Um, that's one area. That's a product development area. The second one is on our impact measurement. We're looking at, um, we've just been um, uh, provided an authorization by the UN to use their um, sustainable development goal logos on our site. So we've just been authorized because we had to present our, um, you know, whether we are allowed and stiff and we've been allowed now, we've been given the authority. So we are now going to be able to kind of um, spearhead some of the things that we thought we would do in terms of bringing visibility uh, to consumers as well as the impact measurement angles, which we were sort of waiting for. So I think now we can kickstart on that. Um, in terms of having the opportunity to have a lot of e-dialogue, I think this was something that was on our plate already, and now we're going to further that um, and allowing consumers to be really a part of these discussions and be more engaged and involved in um, e-training sessions. And we just had our first one last night, actually, uh, with one of our artisan vendors. And she did this whole thing on immunity development because she's the one who actually uh, sells the candles and uh, natural sprays on our site. So we're going to have a lot more of this engagement so people can... Well, if they've missed it, they can again look at it again. And these are resources. Um, and, the, and the second part is that we're going to start working more and more with businesses um, in terms of our geographical and kind of market uh, development where we want to engage and, um, you know, see where we could support businesses in being able to have um, sustainable procurement um, and sustainable and um, transparent procurement for their products as well as for their gifting and things. We already made a head start with that in October last year where we've now become verified vendors um, to one of the UN organizations and and the WTO, and we've already done our first deal with them. So we're really exploring that angle in um, growing that. Um, and of course, uh, you know, the world is an our oyster, literally. We've just started. So we've hopefully got um, a couple of markets in mind, actually, geographically. And uh, hopefully in the next very near future, we'd be able to scale um, and start talking to some of our potential investors and things to see where it goes. Very, very exciting. So Zebra Talk is a is a global product as well. And if anyone who's listening to our podcast today wants to, to get involved either as a consumer or as a business, how can they do that? 
well, just get in touch with us. Just write to us. Just connect with us. You can uh, get in touch with us at social.inclusivetrade.com or you can get in touch with us on um, Facebook or Instagram, which is at, at inclusive underscore trade. Uh, we're on Twitter, which is also inclusive underscore trade. Uh, our Facebook page is uh, interesting because we've just got a Facebook group now where uh, a lot of discussion and dialogue has suddenly started to er- erupt and evolve, especially with the usage of communication technology. So if you want to be a part of those discussions, just, you know, go on there and um, our group is called I hashtag shop by impact so that's the group Facebook group so um, just get in touch with us literally or go onto the website and ping us a little message so yeah there are loads of ways you can get in touch with us and we'd be we'd be absolutely delighted to hear from you fantastic well the, the one thing that's that's rung through very clearly for me during today's conversation is the authenticity uh, in what you're doing and the passion that you've got for it personally so thank you for bringing that some of that to the conversation we've had today and uh, wish you every success with adventures thank you so much matt and thanks for having me again this has been a total delightful um, journey for me to actually discuss all these wonderful you know things that you guys are doing at zebra um, in bringing so many thought leaders to the table and sharing experiences i think that's absolutely amazing so well congratulations to you guys well, Thank you. We'll we'll look forward to having you as part of the Zebra community going forward. Thanks, Rupa. Thanks very much.